Well, I'm David. I'm cracking on for 69 now. I paused because that's your first opportunity to say, my, my, he doesn't look that old. But you blew it. <laughs> I've been married to Sheila for 47 years. That was your second opportunity, and you blew that as well. We've got two children, in our, they're in their 40s now, and uh, seven grandchildren that God's blessed us with, and they're all sort of approaching their 20s now. So I do feel a bit like an old duffer at times, but, um, but I, I tell you what, there's a bit of life left in me yet, I think. Yeah. Praise God. So, as John said, I joined the Royal Navy at 15 years old, um, spent nine years doing all sorts of things that I shouldn't be doing, getting up to all sorts of mischief, learning a lot of hard lessons um, that I wasn't to realize until I became a Christian just how hard they were going to be. And um, yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on that, if you don't mind, folks, because I want to get straight into the word. I'm, uh, I was uh, looking at something this morning, in actual fact, that I feel in my heart, and, and it has been confirmed through the prophetic words and through what John has been sharing as well. I love the name of your church, Acorn. What was it someone once said? The mightiest of oak trees was once a little nut. <laughs> once a little acorn. And I think what John has said is very <laughs> prophetic. I'm going to be looking in the book of Job. might be an unusual passage to speak from, but I hope it has relevance, and I think it will, because there's two passages, two places that I want to look at. The first is in chapter 3, and for the sake of time, I'm going to flick straight to the um, specific verses that I want to look at, but the whole chapter is relevant. In chapter 3 of Job, we find Job having a good old moan. And I think, considering what he's been through, he's got every right. Don't you? I wouldn't have wanted to have gone through that, but I think I've gone through something similar. And some of you here probably have as well. But Job is coming towards the end of his discourse here with God, his first discourse, should I say. And what he says in verse 25 and 26, well, let's go from verse uh, 23 in actual fact. Sorry, chapter 3 again, yeah, Job chapter 3. And then I'm going to be, just so that you can flick over um, shortly, I'm going to be going into uh, chapter 14 as well of Job. Good old Job. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Turn to someone and say, well, that's cheered me up. <laughs> Don't worry, hopefully it gets better as we go along. As all things do when you're in Christ Jesus. But this verse has been... <clears throat> Swimming around in my mind, I must say, probably for the last few years, and verses like it, partly because of what I've been through myself over the years, and I won't be unique in this, but 
Um, I want to begin with a little bit of a testimony, and, I, and I'm going to whip through it quite quickly. But um, there was a period in our lives. I mean, I've, as John said, I've been in ministry now for getting on for 40 years, as has John. And, um, and there was a period in our lives where the church was going fantastically well. We were smashing through all kinds of barriers, and, and uh, the, there was growth, and, uh, and it was great. It was wonderful. But on a personal level, there were more and more attacks coming against us. And there were attacks going on in the church as well to other people. But um, for ourselves, all kinds of things happened in a very, very short period of time. One of the things that happened was that our home was hit by a bolt of lightning. And it destroyed the home. We had to move out for a period of seven months. We had television in touch with us, BBC wanted to do a, a documentary on it um, until I heard that they wanted to paint a picture of woe is me and, uh, you know, and uh, this pastor must have done something terrible for God to have smited him with a mighty smite, um, to which I said, that you believe in God then? <laughs> and that closed the conversation down. It was uh, um, the same with the insurance company who were getting a little bit difficult to begin with. And uh, they said, well, it's what we call an act of God. I said, so, so you believe in God as well. I said, that's fantastic. The BBC believe in God and now um, Direct Line believe in God as well. Wonderful. <laughs> anyway, everything was well. But, but we had to move out for a period of seven months. Now, it wouldn't have been so bad if that was the only thing going on. But at the same time, my mother and father were both diagnosed with terminal cancers. And um, they both died within a few months of each other. Mum first and dad second. I did both their funerals, in fact. And, um, and then we heard our son had embarked on a life of drugs. Um, our daughter was in a, a relationship that was causing all kinds of problems. My father-in-law died, causing my wife a lot of pain. I was then diagnosed by my doctor with cancer. Um, before you all go, ah, um, it turned out not to be cancer, thank God. But I still had to have a double mastectomy because it had manifest in my breasts, which, okay, it's not as big a deal for a man as it is for a woman. But it was still a very unpleasant surgery. And, um, and it was a frightening time because I went to my doctors. He said it's cancer. I went to my consultant. He said it's cancer. So we lived with the knowledge for about a month before they could ascertain that actually it's not cancer. It's something else. Um, and so I had to go in for the surgery. At the same time, our car got vandalized. That was no big deal, I suppose, in some ways. But with all this other stuff, it was. Because it was one thing after another. Now, I'm sure most of you have been through times like that, where you begin to wonder, have you got it in for me, God? Or have I done something wrong? And even my dad, or I remember my dad, just before he died, he said, son, when I get up there, I'll ask him what he's up to. <laughs> I said, I wouldn't if I was you, dad. I'd keep quiet. Um, we had a lot of leadership issues going on in the church at the same time. And then there was what the Christians were saying as well. And so in the year 2000, strangely enough, at the same time John was going through something, we've mirrored one another's lives for so many years now, I went through a complete burnout. I reached the end of myself. And I was saying things similar to Job. What's going on, God? What have I done? 
I know I'm not perfect. I know I've even sinned at times, but God, this is, you know, I thought judgment ended at the cross. Is this true? Are you judging me? Are you, you know, are you displeased with me? Are you indeed smiting me with mighty smites? I don't know if anyone else has ever felt that way, but you almost start asking God questions and we're asking the wrong person. It may be that there are things happening in our lives that God, in his wisdom, uh, has allowed. But it's only for a season. But of course, when you're in it, you don't know that. The wonderful thing about living in faith is um, you're not really quite sure at what point something's starting and where am I in the process and when is this season going to come to an end? Because we kind of know as Christians, don't we, that it is going to end, but I'm not sure when. I know God will provide, but why does he seem to wait until right at the last moment before the need is met? Have you ever had that? We want to build lives of security, and that's understandable. We all do it. When I went to Bible college in the early 80s, I, 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 um, it was quite a distance from where I lived. I was a married man. I got two small children. And, uh, and so I, I thought I'll, I'll do a little bit of reverse psychology with God, which is probably not a good idea. <laughs> and, uh, and I prayed something along these lines. Lord, you wouldn't want Sheila and the children to be without their dad for extended periods of time. So therefore, Lord, I'm asking you for a car so that I can go forth from college and come home at the weekends. It all seemed very reasonable to me, but the heavens were very silent. And I, I remonstrated with God quite, quite severely. I fasted, tried to bribe him. Nothing was working, no car. But there was never a moment when I needed to go home that I didn't have provision. Alan Dix, some of you may know at the Newcastle uh, Church, was a great friend of mine. We trained together. That's how old I am. Uh, we trained together. And um, I remember Alan coming to me one weekend. Dave, he says, um, I can't do his accents, no point. I'll, I'll be insulting you all if I tried that. Dave, he said, I'm, I'm off up home. He said, but, but obviously... I'll be going past rugby. Do you want a lift? I thought, praise God, great. All I've got to do is get someone from rugby to pick me up at the motorway junction, which was no problem. So I got home that weekend. Another weekend I wanted to go home. Uh, somebody had popped in my pigeonhole um, uh, 20 pounds in an envelope saying, to Dave, go home. <laughs> which is just enough to get me a train ticket. That's how long ago it was. But it was enough to get me a... A return train ticket. So God provided. But you see, when we're going through persecution or when we're going through things, seasons of difficulty and, and whatever, it can seem as though something else is going on. And it begins to show in our lives what other secret fears are there. You see, Jeremiah got a bit of a telling off from God when he too had gone through difficulty as a prophet. He's speaking God's word and he's not getting a lot of response uh, or not the response he was hoping for. 
And he says these words to God. He says, will you be to me like an intermittent stream, like a brook that fails? Because he got to the end of his rope. You ever been on the end of a rope? It's not fun, is it? You see, when you're dangling on the end of a rope, you've got no idea how far down it is. If I let go of this rope, how far am I going to drop? Will God catch me? Will he be there? He says he will. But will he? Give me a sign, Lord. It's like the guy who fell off the edge of a cliff. You may have heard this one. Um, falls off the edge of a cliff. And, 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 and as he's falling, he grabs out. And he, there's some roots growing out from the, the side of the cliff like they often do. And he grabs this root and he's dangling. And he's screaming at the top of the voice. Is there anybody there? Somebody help me. And he hears this voice from heaven. I'm here, son. Who are you? I'm God. Save me, God. Let go of the branch. Is there anybody else there? (laughs) Be honest. Be honest. Have you? (laughs) You see, God says he'll save, but he didn't say how he'll do it. He didn't say when he'll do it. And that's our dilemma, isn't it? Because then what it does is it raises fears that we are unaware are there. John was right yesterday, one of the sessions I spoke about, where have you come from? What are you doing? And where are you going? The dilemma for me during my burnout, which was one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had as a Christian, I even questioned my faith at one point. I don't often confess to this in churches, but I'm retired now, so what does it matter? You know, but uh, when Sheila was going to church, I was going up the pub and reading the newspaper and realizing life goes on on a Sunday. I'd had it. I was finished as far as I was concerned. I was done. I'd been prescribed antidepressants. I'd, you know, the gossip going around the church at the time was... We've got a broken pastor. We didn't realize he was this week. That was one of the things that, that broke me. I remember one day curled up on the sofa crying out to God, I just want to be David. I just want to be David. I can't do this anymore. Get someone else. I'm obviously, I'm obviously a failure. It's scary at the end of your rope. And that's where Job is. I've got a lot of sympathy for Job. I don't know about you. When I read this book, I find it difficult to read. Because how many of us would like to have been taken to the extent that he was? What is our secret fear? My secret fear was that God was done with me. And God exposed it. And he had to. As a loving, merciful father, he had to show me. You see, his words to Jeremiah after Jeremiah cried out and said, Will you be to me like an intermittent stream? Will you be like a brook that fails? His words to Jeremiah go something like this, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like this. If you utter worthy words, you will be my minister. And that's the word God gave to me, to comfort me. In other words, snap out of it, lad, and start speaking truth about me. You've had your period of poor old me's, and he let Job have that. 
You've cried over yourself. You've lamented. Now snap out of it. Start saying truthful things about me. Start saying what you know is the truth about me. And then we can do some business together. I've allowed you to get to the end of the rope because I needed you to see what your secret fear is. We've all got them. We've all got them. No matter how long in the tooth we are, no matter how long we've been Christians, we've all got secret fears. And it's usually about God's character. But we're not always consciously aware of them. It's only when crisis hits, something suddenly happens that's not supposed to happen, that it brings us up sharp and we begin to suddenly realize, wow. Secret fears. Suffering in all of its forms constantly erode our union with our Heavenly Father. Because what the devil does very subtly is he causes us to question God's character. I don't know if this is scratching where any of you are itching, but I hope the second part will. So turn to someone and say, don't worry, it's getting better. <laughs> it's going to get better. But we've got we to gotta look at this, folks. You want, you, you're with me. We have to look at this. In order to be able to see the good stuff, you know, the, you've, you, you know, you guys, uh, uh, I'm looking out on you now, and, and some of you are older than me, I guess, and, you know, you've been Christians probably, probably longer than me as well. So you know that our Lord Jesus Christ called us to enter into his <coughs> sufferings. You can't have the crown without the cross, the old saying, isn't it? You've got to become acquainted with that cross. You've got to learn to hug that cross if you want the crown. You want all the victory and the triumph and, and all that. You've got to become accustomed with suffering. You see, we're never on our own. But Satan uses our suffering to introduce a mistrust between us and God. That's what he's trying to do. And as long as we're aware of what he's up to, we can deal with it. But it's when we're in darkness and blackness that we're, when we're in confusion. That's why church is a great idea, isn't it? If we've got good people around us. So we can experience a pulling back from God. And I think I experienced that. Almost like a sea anemone. When you watch a sea anemone and you touch it, it sort of pulls back. I used to do a lot of diving in the Navy. And, and, and you, we used to touch anemones. And instantly, as soon as they felt something, they pulled back. It's almost like that. It's a reaction that we can have very often that Satan will play on. You see, you see really, you are on your own. That's one of his favorites. You've always secretly suspected it, really. You know, you're on your own. You've got to sort this yourself. You're going to have to turn to your own resources. And we can have these insidious lies infecting our minds for so long that it really does affect us more than we, we actually realize. Sheila could see it. You see, my doctor prescribed me antidepressants. And in my pride, I didn't take them. It wasn't just pride. I was scared. I didn't know anything about mental health then. Since then, I've 
studied for three years in counselling, and, and so I do know now. But at the time, I didn't. And so what I did was I went up the pub instead and had a couple of pints. Now, I don't recommend this. Because all that did was get me more depressed. And all that did was cause me to withdraw even more, because Sheila would go to church. I was banned from church for six weeks. I was so ill that my supervisor told me, if you end up in church, I'll sack you. He meant it. I'm being open and honest with you this morning, guys, and I'm not doing it for... It doesn't make me look good, does it? You know what I mean? So, But we need honesty. Going through something like that, I tell you, I thought I was done. I unpacked my office, even. I packed it up, took all my books home, took my guitar home, emptied my office because I thought I won't be going back. How can I go back in front of a church of in excess of 200 people and 150 youngsters? How can I go back having had a public breakdown? How can I go back? What hope is there for me now? I'm done, I'm finished. That was my internal narrative that was going on for quite some considerable time. I hid it well, except from my wife. After six weeks had gone by, Sheila said to me, so when are you going to start taking your antidepressants? I said, well, I am taking them. She said, that's a lie. I hung my head. And I said, yeah. She said, so where have they been going? Down the toilet? I said, yeah. I said, how did you know? She said, I'm married to you. We've been married all these years. Do you not think? I can tell. So she said, um, are you enjoying your times at the pub? I said, how did you know I'm going to the pub? I was so careful. I dumped the newspaper before I came back. I ate a packet of tree bore extra strong mints before I got back. Yet she still knew I'd been going to the pub. <laughs> She's a canny lass. <laughs> she wasn't judgmental at all. She just loved me. Do you know what got me back in the pulpit? My mum dying. When my mum died, I'd arranged for another minister to come up from London to take the funeral. And he got stuck on the motorway. And we're outside the church with my mum's casket and my dad and my brothers and sisters stood there crying. And my assistant came out. She said, Dave, she said, he's stuck on the motorway. He's not going to make it. And my assistant said, please don't ask me to do it. Please don't ask me to do it. Because she'd never done a funeral before. My dad, with tears running down his face, he said, you do it, son. And so I took my mum's funeral. And I climbed back in the pulpit. And all I could sense coming from the congregation was love. Because they'd been through it as well. And I didn't realise the pain they'd gone through watching their pastor going through what he was going through. It's one or two, you know. Well, some of Job's friends didn't come out of it too well, did they? <laughs> hey. You see, we can hang on to belief, but still lose intimate, saturated union, which is what we crave as believers. 
as children of God. We crave union with our Father, don't we? So I want to say to you, before I come to the final point, are you pulling back? Are you reacting? Have you got secret fears that you can't talk to anyone about? See, Father wants to heal our hearts and heal our union. But we have to be intentional in this. We have to cultivate an atmosphere of healing. Now, this is what I think is specific to Acorn. And I'm not going to say this is prophetic because I don't have the right to do that. I'm a visiting speaker. I'm gone this afternoon. And John is left as the lead pastor. So I'm not going to say this is something God has told me to say. But it's something I've been led in. And, and I'd ask you just to test it yourselves. Okay? But this was the second part that I received this morning. In chapter 14 of Job. I said in the uh, men's conference yesterday that age does not define impact. You can be an impactful believer at 90 years old. I'm not saying that to try and sort of be nice. Because actually most people who know me know that I'm not nice in that way. I tell truth as I see it. But I, I don't, you know flutter around and stroke people's egos but age uh, an old lady of 96 years old grabbed my wrist one day in her nursing home with shingles all down her face and she was in agony but she always had me sing thank you Jesus with her every time I visited she grabbed my wrist one day because Sheila and I were feeling sorry for ourselves we were young pastors it was buy one get one free in those days you know 60 pound a week for four and a half years uh, it was tough, let me tell you. We lived hand to mouth. And most of our clothes were hand-me-downs um, from good people in church. But she grabbed my wrist and she looked up at me and she went, Pastor, as she's wrapped up in this hospital shawl, she said, I'm so rich. <laughs> Talk about hearing from God. That was the most prophetic statement I'd heard in years from a little 96-year-old lady wrapped up in a hospital shawl with shingles. Don't write yourself off, guys. No matter how old you are, or young, age does not define your impact. The second bit, and I'll come to a close with this. I went on a journey in 2008. I left the church we'd pastored. We'd been in the church 24 years, pastored it for 21 years. And it was a tough time. It was difficult to let go. We went down to Thornton Heath to a church there where God told me very clearly at the age of 53 to retrain. So I went through seven years of retraining. I trained in counselling, psychotherapy. I trained in pastoral supervision. I trained in life coaching. And I did a couple of master's modules for fun behind that as well. And it took seven years. Um, and by the time I finished, I was 60. And I thought, this don't make sense. I'm 60 years old, Lord, come on. What am I going to do at 60? And I formally retired from Elim because I felt God was saying, church leadership at this time is not for you. So I, I took formal retirement. That got us back home to rugby. And I set up my own practice. I was doing counselling and mentoring and 
supervision and whatnot. And God gave me this verse. And it didn't make sense at first. Job 14, verse 7. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Just referencing what John was sharing. Its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Now that same year, Sheila and I went to Greece. One of our favorite locations is Kefalonia. We love it there. We went to a little place called Catelios in Kefalonia. And right next to the pool, there was always this beautiful olive tree. They're beautiful, aren't they, olive trees? I love this old gnarled tree. It had been there for years. I don't know how long, but it was years and years and years it had been there. I was talking to the owner about it, and she said, uh, it may not be here too much longer because we think it's diseased. And sure enough, on that very trip, they cut it down. And something in me broke, because it's exactly how I felt. I thought I was once this magnificent tree. People would come for shelter. People would haul me past her. People would, you know... um, Respect me for, for, for what I was doing in God. And all of a sudden I'm cut down. And I'm just an old stump in the ground there. And so it, it impacted me. But I didn't really understand it all then. I'm, I'm talking in hindsight now, of course. I didn't understand why it caused me to weep when I saw this old stump. And I'd known it to be such a beautiful tree. Bearing fruit. Faithfully, every year, bearing fruit. Even though it was diseased, it was still bearing fruit. But they had to cut it down. So we went, and we came back the following year. And something caused me, the first thing I did after we dropped our case in the room, I said, I want to go down to the pool. She said, why? I said, I need to see the old stump. And when I went down to the old stump, out of one of the roots was growing a new sapling. And God spoke to me. I wrote a poem, but I won't bore you with that now. But I wrote a poem about it, but what God spoke to me was this. And he reminded me of the verse in Job. You see, even though a tree is cut down right to a stump, it can still bear fruit. And it started to grow this new sapling. And I asked the owner about it, and she said, yes. She said, this often happens not just with olive trees, but with a lot of trees, that they are capable of sending off a new shoot from the same stump using the same root system. Incredible. So I started studying about it. I got home, I got onto Google and started looking into it and found out all sorts of interesting things. You see, I'd got to the point where I was beginning to act like an old man. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say why were the old days better than these, for it's not wise to ask such questions. You see, really, they weren't. But we romanticize the past. We tend to. John and I, when we've talked about Navy days, we romanticize it sometimes. But we can still remember the hell. We remind each other of it. 
that it wasn't always wonderful. It wasn't always, ha ha, we're lads. <laughs> Sometimes it was horrendous. And the old days were not necessarily better than these days. 1 Corinthians 9.27 Paul's great fear so that after I have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified from the, the prize. You see what God did, me, did to me at that point when I began to have hope again on my return to the UK I was called by Pastor Phil Hills who's the CEO <coughs> of Team Challenge. And he said David he said uh, he said, this is a strange request. We've got a conference this very weekend. Would you like to come as a guest? I thought, it's a bit off the wall. I hadn't heard from Phil Hills in 36 years. No, sorry, it would have been uh, 32 years at the time. I thought, I've not heard from Phil. 32 years, we're not exactly friends. Why is he asking me? But uh, anyway, um, I phoned his dad up. Because <laughs> I know Gordon quite well. And Gordon said, brother... In his Irish accent, if my Philip has asked you to go, he says he never asks someone to do something with no reason at all. I advise you to go. So I did. Had a great time. And Phil asked me if I would, um, on a consultative level, work with Team Challenge to um, skill, upskill some of their workers and also counsel some of the lads. So I did that for five months on a consultative basis. But the time was coming to an end. And, and I, it was just at the time I was beginning to have hope again that actually God's not finished with me, that he's still willing to use me. And I was just beginning to enjoy it, and then it was stopped. And as I was saying goodbye to everyone on my last day, one of the lads there, staff members, shook my hand, but he was smiling. I said, what are you smiling for? He says, I don't think you're going to be gone long. I think you'll be back. I said, well, bless you, you know, and whatever, and off I went. The new guy had come in at the same day. He'd come from Ireland, and um, he was going to be living on, on site. And um, I was phoned up the very next day. And the manager said, um, he's gone. He freaked out overnight because it's a tough place to work, let me tell you. It's conflict resolution every moment of every day. Big guys in your face, you know, effing and jeffing and everything else. And um, would you like the position? And I prayed about it for about 0.37 seconds <laughs> and then and said, I'd love to. I'd love it. Because I'd fallen in love with the place. I loved working there. And I was there for four years and I served on management and also I became their counsellor. And uh, working with the men, just, it was fantastic. And God showed me, I'm not done with you, son. And at the same time, towards the end of my time there, I was asked to look after a church for a year in Birmingham, a place called Acox Green, which is close to Acorn, but not that close. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and so God showed me, I'm not done with you. I finished last December. Not the December, just gone, the one before. So I've been effectively out of ministry now for just over a year. And, and it was difficult, but God had told me, I, I want you to rest. I, I'm going to hide you away for a period. So it wasn't because of the earlier reasons or anything like that. However, I'll close that because it brings people comfort. <laughs> um, but I am, 
I'm not messing about, I am. But it still revealed that secret fear. Here I am, nearly 69, but I still feel strong, like Caleb. I still feel useful. I still feel that my ministry can be impacting. But what if he forgets me? This is my first outing since I finished at Teen Church. Sorry to tell a lie. I did minister in one of the Teen Challenge Centers last year for a few days. But this is my first real outing into church. And it's wonderful to feel useful. To feel that you've still got something to give. You know? But we've got to watch those secret fears. And that we don't end up speaking out. And I've kept quiet. This last year, my wife actually said to me, welcome back. I said, what? She'd been gone for years. Welcome back. That was at the beginning of the year. Now she's saying, it'd be good if God could find you something, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. But anyway, I'm going to remain true to the promise. Pastor John. God bless you folks. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to uh, bring a time of ministry. I feel that the, the lead pastor should do anything if he feels it's, uh, it's, it's necessary. But watch those secret fears. Okay.